Good morning. It's from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. And it's up on the screen as well. At Mount Sinai. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, they set out from Raphindim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and the Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all of the nations you will be treasured and possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be be in a kingdom of priests and the holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back up, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. Then the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Richard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that in the written word and through the spoken word, we may see the living word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Exodus is a book full of memorable events. The burning bush, which David Turner spoke about recently, Harsh slavery in Egypt. God's demand to Pharaoh, let my people go. The plagues and the Passover and the dramatic escape from Pharaoh's army. Then later Moses is given the Ten Commandments. Our reading that we just heard from Exodus chapter 19 is less well known. But it's actually a key moment in the Old Testament. What's more, the New Testament says that it contains a vital message for Christians as well. So let's look first at what was originally said and then consider how it applies to us. Our reading began with the Israelites arriving at Mount Sinai after their rescue from Egypt. They spent less than a year there But that time determined who they would be from then on. For Exodus is not just a book about God's rescue. It's also about God's presence. And the book ends with God's glory filling the tabernacle, a special tent made according to his instructions. God had come to dwell among the people And our reading explains how that came about. Mount Sinai was where God had spoken to Moses from the burning bush, saying, 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That was a reference to God's promise to make Abraham into a great nation and ultimately to bless all peoples through him. Indeed, a little earlier we read, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. God told Moses that he would use him to bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And he made this promise. I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Our reading described the fulfilment of that promise. We read in page 76 of the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along, we read in verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You have seen. The people had witnessed God's rescue of them. But that wasn't to be the end of the story. God wasn't now simply sending them his best wishes for a safe onward journey and a happy future. He had something much better planned. For he went on to say, I have brought you to myself. He wanted to make them his very own people and to live among them. We need to be clear about the sequence of events here. God hadn't said, if you obey me, I'll rescue you from Egypt. But now that he had rescued them, he was inviting them to make a covenant with him, a solemn agreement. And that would carry obligations regarding how they would live from now on. However, unlike their experience in Egypt, they had a choice. This was an invitation, not an imposition. They were free to accept or reject it. It was like a marriage proposal. Indeed, the Old Testament later compares the relationship between God and Israel to a marriage. What we have in our reading is the proposal itself. The next few chapters describe the obligations of the proposed relationship. But it was about more than rule keeping. God was calling them to know him and to seek to please him in the way that they would live. After that's explained in chapter 24 of Exodus, we find the making of the covenant. That was like the wedding ceremony itself. God's invitation to the people began like this. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. All nations belong to God, for he created them. And God's authority extends everywhere. Egypt learned that the hard way. But God was inviting Israel to a special relationship with him. 
That wasn't due to any particular merit on their part. As they were told in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord did not uh, set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. God loved them because he loved them. So, having been rescued from slavery, the people were given the choice of serving the Lord. If they accepted, they would have a unique relationship with him. They would be his people. They would have a special role in God's world, distinct from other nations. You will be my treasured possession, he said. Just as a king in those days would have his own personal treasure, so Israel would be God's. But, just as in a marriage, this relationship would require exclusive commitment to him. So the Ten Commandments began with God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. They were to devote themselves solely to him. Many centuries later, an even greater invitation from God to all people was made when Jesus came to this earth. He said, come to me. He said, follow me. And Peter in his first letter wrote this to all who responded to Jesus' invitation. He wrote, you are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I wonder if we properly understand how precious we are to God. Indeed, the Apostle Paul prayed that all God's people would be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. But what would this relationship look like in practice? God said this to the Israelites, verses 5 and 6, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So let's now explore what's meant by those phrases. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, God has said. Not long after the events of our reading, Moses' brother Aaron and his descendants were designated priests in Israel. But in a wider sense, God was calling the whole nation to be priests. So what does that involve? Generally speaking, priests were intermediaries between God and people. They brought God's word to the people. They brought the people's sacrifices to God. And they brought God's blessing back to the people. But the overriding characteristic of priests was that they had access to God's presence. And that was what God was offering the Israelites here. Israel would have the unique privilege of God living among them. And the phrase kingdom of priests also has a sense of royalty about it. They would be a royal priesthood. They would regain something of what had been lost in the Garden of Eden. There, Adam and Eve had fellowship with God and were told to rule to rule over creation on God's behalf. 
They were the original royal priesthood. But they had lost that status when they rebelled against God. Now God was beginning to undo the harm that they had caused. The Israelites were to live as priests in God's presence and to be a witness to other nations by observing his laws. As Moses said, observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Moses continued, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. Other nations were to see what Israel had and to want it also for themselves. As Isaiah would later declare, many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. What a remarkable change of status this was for the Israelites. A few months earlier, they had been slaves to Pharaoh. Now God was inviting them to royal status in his kingdom. That's a preview of what Jesus would one day do for us. As the book of Revelation puts it, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We too have been given a priestly role of worship and witness. Peter wrote, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote this about serving God. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So God was inviting the Israelites to be his treasured possession and to be a kingdom of priests. Thirdly, he was calling them to be a holy nation. If God was to dwell among them, they would need to live in a way that honoured him. As God later said, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. How they behaved should reflect his character. Holiness is an important theme in Exodus. We meet it first when Moses saw the burning bush. There God said to him, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. We meet it again here in chapter 19 when God tells Moses in verse 23, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The message is that God's presence brings holiness. But God's presence also requires holiness. It requires people to be dedicated to him. So God told Moses in verse 10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready on the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. 
Their washed clothes were to symbolize their dedicated hearts. Just as a bride wears her wedding dress to represent the commitment that she's about to make. So the people were signifying their commitment to be holy for God. That raises a question for us today. Do we take God's awesome holiness seriously enough? The Israelites at Mount Sinai certainly had an awe-inspiring experience of God's holiness, of his presence. They witnessed thunder and lightning, billowing smoke and shaking ground as God came among them. And then they heard him speak. They were warned to take care, for they had no automatic right to approach God. They could do so only on his terms. God's holiness and the people's dedication to him that it required profoundly affected how they were to behave. It was to shape their relationships in their families and their communities. It would require them to show compassion, generosity and integrity in all their dealings. God later said this to them, You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. As God's people, they should live out who they were. We find the same challenge to Christians in the New Testament. For Paul wrote to the Ephesians, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He went on. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. The essence of God's invitation to the people was this, to become his treasured possession, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He wasn't asking them simply to follow a set of rules. He was asking them to be in fellowship with him, listening to his voice and living as he desired. Would they acknowledge him as their Lord and serve him out of love as Jesus would later say to his disciples if you love me keep my commands our reading tells us in verse 8 the people all responded together we will do everything the Lord has said that was an unequivocal response but it was also an overconfident one it reminds me of when Peter told Jesus, I will never disown you, shortly before doing precisely that. Intention is one thing, living it out is quite another. And indeed the Israelites were to fall at the first hurdle, for when Moses left them for an extended period of time, they dishonoured God by making a golden calf 
and worshipping it. Sin is a serious problem. But the people were graciously forgiven following intercession by Moses. And God provided them with an ongoing means of forgiveness through the offering of sacrifices at the tabernacle. Those sacrifices were a pointer towards God's ultimate means of forgiveness when Jesus died for us on the cross. As Paul wrote to the Romans, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And as God's glory subsequently filled the tabernacle on Mount Sinai, we also see a pointer to Pentecost when God's spirit came upon the church. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in Christ you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The events of our reading took place shortly after the Passover and the nation's rescue from slavery in Egypt. The Israelites accepted God's invitation to be his covenant people and he came to dwell among them. Over a thousand years later, at a Passover meal, Jesus spoke of a new rescue, a rescue of people from the grip of sin, and of sealing a new covenant through his death. And Peter would later apply words from our reading to Jesus' followers. He wrote, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So, let's rejoice that God loves us as his special possession. He loved us so much that he gave his only son for us, and he will graciously continue to bless us. Let's live out our status as a royal priesthood. We have access to God because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's spend time each day in his presence. And let's take seriously his calling to be a holy nation. We are to honour our holy God, not only with our lips, but also in our every action. And then let's declare his praises, both in church and to anyone else who will listen. For he has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen.